0: You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, if you have your Bibles, let's go to the book of Judges in the Old Testament. We're going to be in chapter 13 in just a moment. Um, I am excited about this sermon series entitled Wild Things, and man, I know every person in here knows someone who is wild. Maybe you have a kid that is wild. Maybe somebody at work is wild. Maybe... In your past, or maybe even right now, you have experienced some wild times. But, you know, we all kind of define wild in different ways. My wife defines wild as staying up later than 10 p.m. That's like crazy. Trent, are you kidding me? And so um, the, the the idea for us today is, is to begin to kind of wrap our minds around this concept of wild. I remember when I was a kid, one of the first recollections I have of, of doing something wild was in second grade, believe it or not. And so I had older brother and older siblings, obviously Pastor Todd, and I've got two sisters. And so uh, they were in high school, and I heard them talking about egging this house and how cool and fun it was. And so here I am, a second grader, thinking, okay, that sounds pretty good. The next day was Sunday. My best friend Drew came over to the house, and uh, we were bored, and we thought, hey, we can be cool too, so let's go egg somebody's house. And so we went to the fridge and gathered up five or six eggs. And of course, we couldn't carry them in our hands, so we had to stuff them in our pockets. That was really smart. And we decided to go to our next door neighbor's house in broad daylight, right in the middle of a Sunday afternoon. Sounds like a great plan, right? And so we go over there, and in the transition from our house to their backyard, You know, three-fourths of the eggs had smashed in our pockets, so we had like one or two left, and so we threw a couple of eggs, and then we ran home. We got back. We thought, man, that was pretty easy. Not only are we cool, but we're probably cooler than my brother and my sisters, and so it was a glorious day, and my friend goes back to his house, and because he wasn't as, I don't know, smart or deceptive or whatever. He didn't cover his tracks, and he left all those smashed eggs in his pockets. I mean, come on, man. What are you thinking? And of course, his mom found all of these smashed eggs in his pocket, and she's like, Drew, why do you have all these eggs in your pocket? And He sang like a canary, man. He sold me out. He said everything. He told her everything that had happened. Well, little did I know that was going on, but the phone rang at our house that Sunday night, and uh, my dad picks up the phone, and it was Drew's mom, and she told him all the details. So he gets off the phone. I don't know what's going on, and dad says, hey, Trent, do you know anything about our neighbor's house getting egged today? And the faithful son that I am said, I have no idea, Dad. I don't know what you're talking about, <laughs> you know? And so we sat down, and I remember watching Cheers with my dad on a Sunday night. He recorded it from Thursday night. You guys know the schedule. And by the way, who lets their second grader watch Cheers? <laughs> Great move, Pastor Ron. <laughs> I mean, come on. I just want to throw him under the bus for a quick second. But anyway... So we're watching Cheers. We're hanging out, and it's like the Holy Spirit starts to convict me, and I start to feel like I have done something really wrong here. I've, I've egged a, you know, i you know, egged a house. I'm lying to my dad, and so I finally say, "Hey, Dad." He said, "Yes, son." He said, "I said, you know, you were talking about our neighbor's house getting egged." He said, "Yes, son. Do you have something to say?" And I said, "Yeah, Dad." I think Todd did it. (laughs) I'm just kidding. No, I I confessed right then and right there. And uh, it was was the Spirit of God. I think back on that day, and even as a young second grader, man, I had a wild soul. And the reality is, the truth is, is that every single one of us has a wild soul. It lurks within us. It wants to run free. It's the beast that wants to take over your life. This wild soul is your sinful heart. It steers your life and your behavior to the worship of self. Everyone in this room today, every person ever born, is born with a wild soul. It is corrupted by sin. It's opposed to the things of God and it only cares about self. It is totally depraved. The scripture says that there is no one righteous. No, not one. No one seeks after God. That wild soul is not just the party animal in college. It's the man who looks lustfully at a woman, and it's a woman who is envious of her neighbor. It's a second grader who lies to his father. This is our sinful, corrupt heart. And because of our wild soul, we deserve hell. We deserve punishment. We deserve death, and we deserve destruction. But God, Ephesians chapter 2, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, with a wild soul, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Amen? Amen. When you, by God's grace, recognize your sin and you trust in Jesus, the Spirit of God comes upon you in power, forgiving your wild soul, transforming your wild soul, and gives you the power to live and worship Jesus. Somebody in the room today needs to surrender their life to Jesus. Many of you have already done that. But even though you have surrendered your life to Jesus, here's the problem. The problem is that wild soul has a tendency to creep back into the driver's seat of your life. It tends to creep back in, causing you to make decisions based on your emotions, based on your lust, based on your pride, based on your anger, One of the writers of the New Testament, the apostle Paul wrote in the book of Romans that he has this desire to do what is right. He has the desire to do good, but the things that he knows he should do, he doesn't do. In fact, he does the opposite. He does what he knows he shouldn't do. How many of you ever read that passage of scripture? You're familiar with that? What Paul is explaining there to us is how we battle and how he wrestles with his wild soul, because even though we are forgiven, even though we are followers of Christ, even though the spirit of God lives in us, that wild beast, that wild soul still is in our heart. We still wrestle with sin. We've been forgiven. You're not that person anymore. You've been redeemed. You've been made new. You're a new creation. All that is true, and yet those old tendencies, that wild soul is not perfect, and it never will be. And so we've got to battle with that wild soul. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to learn, hopefully, the lessons from my favorite Bible character as a child. His name is Samson. He was the strongest man who ever lived, but he allowed his soul to derail God's plan for his life. And in many ways, Samson is just like you. He's just like me. Every single one of us have struggled just like he did. We have so much potential for greatness. Samson had so much potential for greatness, and yet again and again, he squanders that potential. He squanders his purpose with stupid, bad, terrible, sinful decisions. And so in this series, we wanna learn how to battle that wild soul, how to go to war with that wild soul and pursue holiness, pursue maturity, because that's what we want. We wanna mature in our walk with Christ, right? 1 Timothy 4 says to train yourself for godliness. Hebrews 6.1 says let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. That's what we're after. I hope that's what you're pursuing. So let's start in chapter 13, verse 1. And for the next, today and for the next three weeks, we're going to look at the life of Samson. It says this in verse 1. And the people of Israel again, you might circle that word again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Now let's just pause for just a second. A quick history lesson. The entire book of Judges is about the Israelite people who fall into this cycle of sin that maybe you yourself have fallen into, but essentially they are living for God, but they fall into sin. They start worshiping idols, and then God sends a neighboring nation to come and oppress them and to come and take over, and as that happens, they experience this turmoil. Eventually, after years of this, they finally turn back to God. They seek his face. They receive forgiveness, and then they start to worship him alone again. But then a few years later, they fall back into their old ways, back into their sinful idol worship, and then God sends another nation to come and oppress them. And this happens over and over again, and sometimes it's 10 years or seven years. And then in this case, in chapter 13, it now comes to the point to where God says, all right, for the next 40 years, you will be oppressed by this group of people called the Philistines. Now, the Philistines... It's where we get the word Palestine, so it's that area. They, uh, the, the name actually means immigrants, and so a lot of scholars believe they immigrated from Egypt into that area, and they were a vile and evil nation. They built their entire culture on invading countries, killing everyone, and taking over. They had festivals of these drinking parties that would last for days, they were extremely cruel. When they would capture a town, they would mutilate and remove the genitalia from the males while they were alive, torture them, and then impale them. If anybody needs to get up and take a deep breath and walk around, I feel you. Like these are vile, godless, evil people. Verse 2. There was a certain man of Zorah, of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. Not if you have little kids, Moana, as I have called him several times this week as I've read. Anyway, his name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. Okay, Paul's here again. So here we have a, a, a man by the name of Manoah. We don't know his wife's name, but they cannot have children. And I'm sure they were broken by this. I'm sure they prayed and asked God that he would bless them with a child. Barrenness in those days was the ultimate devastation. Now, obviously, it's hard in our day too, but back then, all their hope and all their future was bound up in their kids. Who's going to take care of our farm? And how are we going to grow this and take care of these crops? And who's going to take care of us when we get older? It was a huge deal. But then God promises to give them a son, but not just any son, a son that, would have a special and unique purpose for the nation of Israel. Let's look at verses 3. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not borne children. And when I read that, I think, thanks for rubbing it in, right? I know. Thank you, angel of the Lord, for visiting me and reminding me of my pain. But he says, you shall conceive and bear a son. So here's hope, verse 4. Therefore, be careful. And drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. And so we learn here that not only is she going to have a son, but he has a special purpose. He's going to be a Nazarite. Now, what that simply means is that he was set apart and he was dedicated to the Lord. And, and by the way, anybody could be a Nazarite. You could, you could dedicate yourself to the Lord as a Nazarite, but most of the time it was only done you know, for a, a certain number of days, maybe 40 days or something like that for, for a short season. But for Samson, it was not a temporary dedication to God. No, he was dedicating his entire life for the purpose of delivering the Israelites from the hand of the Philistines. This was God's purpose for his life. And so this Nazarite vow meant three things. No razor would touch his head. So that means he was going to never cut his hair. Secondly, he was not going to drink anything from the fruit of the vine. He was not going to drink any alcohol. And then thirdly, he wasn't going to touch any, dead, any anything dead. Dead animal, dead person, anything Living that died, not going to touch it. So those were the three areas that he was making this commitment. Now, why does God want him, you know, to avoid Cabernet and look like the guys from Duck Dynasty? (laughs) You know, why do we have to grow our hair out? And, and, And basically, the reason is that it was an outward sign of an inward commitment that he was specially dedicated to God. And so in much the same way that baptism is for you today, that is an outward sign of the inward commitment that you made to Christ. Baptism doesn't save you. save you. Your faith in Christ saves you. And so when we go public with our faith, we're getting baptized, going under the water, symbolizing our death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ. We are made new, and that's kind of what this is like. It's kind of like my wedding ring. My wedding ring um, is, is a symbol of that inward commitment that I've made to my wife, Micah. And so that's what this dedication as a Nazarite really meant. Now, look at verse 5 again. Circle that word in verse 5, begin. Because his purpose here is to save and deliver the Israelite people from the Philistines. But it says he shall begin to save the Israelites from the hand of the Philistines. Why Begin. That seems like an odd word to use. He will begin it, but he's not going to finish it. Who's going to finish it? Well, if you're in church for a long time, especially if you were a kid, if the teacher asks you a question, the answer is either God, Moses, or Jesus. Yeah, good. We're tracking today. Yeah, uh, right here, Samson is going to begin to deliver the Israelite people. But Jesus is going to come later and finish it. And that's going to be week four. I'm super excited about that week. Now, Manoah did not get to see this angel. He didn't get to speak to him. And so they pray and ask God, let the angel come back. Manoah wanted to see the angel and talk to the angel. And lo behold, God answers their prayer. So hop over to verse 12. And we're going to see the scene where now he actually gets to speak to the angel. And it says, and Manoah said to him, now when your words come true, what is to be the child's manner of life? And what is his mission? He's asking more in-depth questions here. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. In other words, I already said what I needed to say. Verse 14, she may not eat of anything that becomes from the vine. Neither let her drink wine or strong drink or eat any unclean thing. All that I commanded her, let her observe. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, please let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, If you detain me, I will not eat of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said, asked him another question to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? So that when your words come true, we may honor you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name? See, it is wonderful. What in the world is happening right now, Right. I mean, when you read the Bible, sometimes you just kind of sit back and scratch your head and say, okay, and commentary, please. Well, luckily, that's what we're here to do. Verses 12 through 14 is a a scene that you and I have lived. In fact, I'm living it right now. The reality is when God is doing something in your life, you want more details, don't you? How many of you are detail-oriented people? You want to know the details. God, I see what you're doing here and I'm just going to be honest with you, I need more details. <laughs> Why are you doing this? How come this is happening? Why aren't you stepping in here? I'm praying and I've been praying this one for a while now, Lord. It's been a minute and you're not actually answering me. Some of you have been there. Man, I, I've been there. You, you've known my struggles and I've shared those with you. And even today, we kind of face a, a similar struggle. My sister Tracy who was super healthy. She's 50 years old, but she looks like she's 35. She is strong, a great leader, is married. And out of the blue, we find out that she has a tumor in her lungs. And so uh, a few weeks ago, she had a portion of her lungs removed, and things are moving in the right direction now. And then she had her first round of chemo. And then out of nowhere, she catches the flu. And then she gets pneumonia, and she went to... Uh, intensive care, and now there's a ventilator keeping her alive, and she's been there for over a week, and the doctors say she's going to be there indefinitely. And so there's a lot of prayer, and there's a lot of questions. God, like you you say, ask, and it will be given out. Well, I'm asking, and I'm waiting, and God, I'm looking around, and I'm not seeing much happen here. And I want to believe you're there, God, and I'm the pastor for kind of out loud. So God, I'm like like with you. I'm on your team, right? But why aren't you giving me any more details? Why aren't you explaining this? Why aren't you showing us? Why aren't you stepping in here? It just kind of feels like you're in the dark sometimes. And maybe you're here today and you're experiencing a similar situation. It's It's a trial. It's a difficult season. And you're like, God, where are you? And the questions that Manoah is asking here is exactly what I would be doing too. And and, and the response from the angel of the Lord is intriguing. Look at it again in verse 18. The angel responds to the question, what's your name? What's your name? And the angel says, my name is wonderful. And if you kind of dive into that word, you would recognize and realize that it's a Hebrew word, and it's the same Hebrew word translated "wonderful" that's used in Isaiah chapter nine, verse six. If you know Isaiah nine, you know that that is a prophecy of the coming Messiah. And so, Isaiah nine, six says, "For unto us a child is born; to us a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful." Hmm. So the angel of the Lord is giving the same name of himself as Isaiah gives to the Messiah, which means that the angel of the Lord speaking to Manoah here is Jesus. Hmm. Jesus wouldn't give any more details about his name. He wouldn't tell him his full name. He just said that his name is wonderful. Here's what I've been pressing into over the last couple of weeks looking at this and and camping out here a little bit in my heart is that that I'm asking for details. I'm asking for answers, and and there are many other areas in my life that I'm struggling, and I'm asking God for these things. And when I see this, I see that God isn't always going to give us more details, but he is going to remind us who he is. And Manoah is reminded here that this angel, this is Jesus saying, I am wonderful. Counselor, Mighty God. And so no matter what you're facing today, no matter what struggles, there might not be more details, but you can trust that your Savior is wonderful. He is mighty, and He is your God. So here's what we've learned so far. God loves Samson God has a purpose for Samson, and the purpose was to deliver the Israelites from the Philistines. And so here's the good news for you. God loves you. God has a purpose for you. It's not to deliver the Israelites from the Philistines, okay? I know that's, that's not you, right? But he does have a purpose. And so understanding that purpose and understanding what God is, is calling you to do in this life is such a valuable, if not the most important thing you'll ever do. And so understanding his love, giving your life to him, surrendering your life to him, receiving his forgiveness, and living for him and discovering that purpose is paramount for you today. Samson is born. He grows. And if you flip over to chapter 14, we see that now he's 18, 19 years old. And we have the first like story of really just how wild his soul really is. So let's dive into verse 1 here. It says, Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah, he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and he told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. Bro, come at me like that. Verse three, but his father and mother said to him, is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives? Or among all the people that you must go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines, our enemies, godless. But Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. Mm. Mm. You see, when the wild soul is winning in your heart, in your life, you're going to do two things that I want to talk about today. First of all, you're going to pursue your lust instead of your purpose. You're going to pursue your lust instead of your purpose. That's exactly what Samson is doing here. She's right in my eyes. I don't care what's right in your eyes, God. I don't care what's right in your eyes, Dad. She's right in my eyes. And the lust of his heart circumvented the purpose that God had for him. You see, in that moment, he looks at the woman and he forgets everything else. I forget about my purpose. I forget about my future. And he says, I want it and I want it now. I don't care what my God says. I don't care what my dad or my mom says. I don't care what's right. And I certainly don't care what is wise because I'm a man. I have desires and I want her. She is right in my eyes. Go get her for me. That's the wild soul talking. That's the wild soul speaking. It's within us and it And it won't have any regard to the consequences of our decision. That lust in our heart is so strong. It is a powerful force. It will devastate your life. I want it. I have to have it. You may want the woman now. You may want the drug now. You might need the nice boat now, the thrill, the money, whatever it is. But if you aren't careful, when you want something, you'll become reckless. And that's exactly what Samson does. Now, why was it bad to marry a Philistine woman. Why was this bad? Maybe she was a good person. Certainly, I, I'm sure she was beautiful. What's so wrong about this? Well, a couple of things are wrong with this. First of all, God said not to marry outside of the nation of Israel. In Deuteronomy 7:3, it says, God says, you shall not intermarry with them. Any people from outside countries, for they will turn your sons away from, the fo- from following me to serve other gods. So God's point is you need to marry those who have faith in Yahweh, have faith in God, because if you start intermarrying with Philistines and all these other nations, they worship other gods. There were no secular people back then who didn't worship, you know, I'm I'm just not going to worship anything. I don't know if God exists. No, they all believe God existed. They all worshiped idols and worshiped gods, and so if you married them then inevitably your faith would be impacted and most definitely your children would be impacted. And so so God says, I want to protect you from this. Now, what does this mean for us today? The Old Testament is the first covenant that God makes with the people of Israel. For you and I, we live under the new covenant. Jesus comes, dies on the cross, offers us a new promise, offers us a new covenant. So we are not bound by the Old Testament. We know this, right? Right? And yet there is a principle here that the Apostle Paul picks up on in the New Testament that I think is paramount for us to learn today. And that is from 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. And Paul says, and it teaches us, that Christians should not be unequally yoked. Should not be unequally yoked. So is it a big deal to date someone who doesn't share the same beliefs as you? Oh, oh, huge deal. Sit in a few marriage counseling sessions who weren't on the same page spiritually when they got married, and now all of a sudden, I want my kids in church, and the other one says, I think they should figure it out for themselves. I want to give to the church. He says, I want to keep it, and I want to go on vacation. That's just scratching the surface, guys. The problems are endless, It is countless. So Paul teaches that believers not only need to be aware of who your close friends are, but it's especially important when you are choosing your best friend, which is your spouse and a follower of Christ should never marry someone who's not a believer. And a lot of single people just don't recognize that. I think it's important. When Paul says not to be unequally yoked, he's not trying to inhibit your dating life. He's trying to protect your future and protect the future of your children. Being unequally yoked is more dangerous than you can ever imagine. So single people, college students, lean in for just a second here. Ladies, lean in for just a minute. Like when you start dating a dude, I'm just gonna speak because I used to be a dude. I feel like I'm a man now, but I was a dude. And when I started to date a girl, I lied a lot. I'm just going to be honest. If you're dating a dude, ladies, he lies a lot. I'm just, I'm just going to be honest. He doesn't lie about everything. But there are multiple lies coming at you constantly. One is this. Here, if I was dating a girl and she said, I only date Justin Bieber fans, guess who I am? I love Justin Bieber. I'm the biggest, I'm the biggest Bieber fan uh, in the world, right? If she said, I only date guys that like frosted flakes, I, I live for frosted flakes. And if she said, I only date Christians, <laughs> well, man, I am your man, because praise be ye to the Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs> right? Listen, I'm not talking about a guy that says he's a Christian, I'm talking about a guy leaning that really loves Jesus, who's pursuing Jesus. Right, and, and and is not getting drugged to church, is not embarrassed by Jesus, but someone who genuinely wants and desires and is pursuing Jesus. Look, that's huge. And so, if you're single, if you're a college student today, do not fall. For the lies, do not fall for the fear that you're gonna be alone forever, right? Because that's the fear. If I, if I get rid of this guy, I'm gonna be alone. That is not true. Here's the reality. You're praying that God would send you somebody. Here's the, God is more focused in and dialed in on you becoming someone instead of you finding someone. And if you'll dial into that and just become who God wants you to be today, He'll take care of the spouse and the relationship in the future. You be faithful to him today. So God says not to do it. But then secondly, Samson's parents say, don't do this. Isn't there someone from the nation of Israel that you could choose and that you could marry? His parents are trying to help him see that he's making a huge mistake. They know that he is going to jeopardize his potential, and sadly, he does if your parents see red flags, pay attention. Pay attention. Pride says, my way is better. Pride says, my way is better. Don't be like Samson and say, my way is better. And I'm not listening to anybody or God. But because of his decision to marry this woman, despite the warning from God, despite the warning from his parents, he would kill 30 men over a stupid gambling debt. He'd kill over a thousand men later. He'd burn crops and fields and devastate the harvest for this group of people. And On and on and on and on, we're going to see devastation. Now, let's look at verse 5 here. Here's the next thing that he does. He's pursuing a woman that he should not marry. And then in verse 5, it says, Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah. He's going to see the woman again. And they came to the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came toward him roaring. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And although he had nothing in his hand, no weapons, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. Now that illustration may not work too well for us. <laughs> You're not tearing goats apart regularly, but evidently it simply means that he he dealt with the lion. All right, suffice it to say. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with a woman, and she was, here it is, right in Samson's eyes. There it is again. So a point to make here is that as he is as he's going to see this woman that he should not be connecting with and pursuing, he encounters this wild beast and this lion attacks him, no weapons, and he kills it, he tears it apart. And I love how the scripture says the spirit of the Lord came upon him. In the New Testament, when we give our life to Jesus, the spirit lives inside of us. In the Old Testament, the spirit did not live inside of them. The spirit came upon them. But we have to realize is what Samson should have realized, and that is your power doesn't come from within you, it comes upon you. And so, all the self help psycho babble of our culture just believe in yourself and dive in, and you gotta believe, and you know, just li- listen, I don't care how positive you are, I don't care how much you believe in yourself, your power is not going to come from within. Your power to overcome sin, your power to overcome your problem, your power to do anything is worthless. The only way you have any power in your life is when the Spirit of God lives inside of you and comes upon you. Now, let's keep reading. This line is going to come back to us. Verse 8. Some days he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion, and behold, There was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. He scraped it out into his hand, and he went on, eating as he went. And he came to his father and mother and gave some to them, and they ate. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. Now, why didn't he tell them? Because he broke his vow. He touched a dead body. He touched the dead lion which was exactly what he promised God he wouldn't do. Listen, when your wild soul is winning, you're gonna gonna pursue lust instead of purpose. And secondly, you're gonna compromise your commitment instead of fulfilling your promise. His wild soul led him to compromise his commitment to the Lord. He rebelled against God and his purpose. And some of you have done the same thing. You've made a commitment to someone but you broke it. You made a commitment to serve but you didn't show up. You made a commitment to the Lord but you broke it. Listen, this is Samson's life of a life of compromise, right? Samson wants a woman, he takes her. He gets hungry, Doesn't care what his vow is, what he promised God, he takes the food and he eats. Doesn't matter if his parents remind him of God's command or not. He sees it, he takes it. Doesn't matter what his promise is because pride says, I can do what I want. Whatever I want, I get to do. That's pride. Men do it all the time. Men abandon their commitment and they throw away their marriage for a few seconds of pleasure. College guys abandon their faith for a a quick taste of pleasure at a party. Men have great potential to lead at home, but they're passive and they want and force their wife to discipline their kids while they simply watch TV. Some men spend hours researching just the right gun to purchase and yet they won't spend five minutes researching the Word of God. Some men work hours, spend emotional energy, physical energy at work, spending everything they've got at work, and they won't spend an ounce of energy dating their spouse. Some men say they love the Lord. They've got so much potential, but their bondage to lust kills their potential. It's the wild soul And like Samson, some of you have allowed your wild soul to take control. Some of you have compromised and you've beat yourself up, and and maybe you've just stopped trying altogether. It doesn't have to be that way. If you're a follower of Christ, I want you to know that the Spirit of God lives in you, and he has given you great potential to live for Jesus God gives you the power, it is within you, to transform your heart, to transform your wild soul, to put you on the path that makes a literal difference in this world, giving you life to the fullest and a journey that you could never experience apart from his grace. Here's the great thing about God. Even though Samson makes terrible decisions, God still uses him to accomplish his purpose. Look at verse four. Let's jump back up here. I want to go back to it because it's an important verse. Verse four, he's saying that this woman is right in his eyes. So he's pursuing this woman regardless. He's going after her. It's going to happen. Verse four, his father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. What's happening here? (laughs) God is saying, I'm gonna use Samson's wild decisions and poor decisions for my purpose. That blows our minds. It's not like we need to run out and make dumb decisions and just say, oh yeah, God's gonna use it. God's gonna bless it. That's, that's really terrible. But what God does in his sovereignty is when we make mistakes, he uses those mistakes to accomplish his sovereign purpose. God is going to judge the Philistines, and God is going to judge them using the man Samson, despite his mistakes. Listen to me. Does this not give you hope? Like what you've experienced, how you've messed up, the things that you're still struggling with today, God is still desiring to use you. Now, he ultimately wants you to turn from sin, He wants you to turn away from a life of sin and pursue him today. And as you do that, he will bless and use everything that you've experienced for his good. Now, a couple of quick points here to apply to our life from this story. So we've looked at what happens when the wild soul is winning. What happens when the wild soul within you is losing? The first thing that happens, you know the wild soul is losing when you pursue a relationship that honors your parents and that honors God. If you are pursuing a relationship that honors God and that honors your parents, you can be sure that, okay, the wild soul is beginning to lose in my life. I realize that many of you are already married and so this one is like not applicable. Maybe you need to forward this to your kids. They're away at college or whatever. Use that, praise the Lord. But maybe there's a single person in the room who knows that their girlfriend or boyfriend is just simply not right for them. And their fear is that I'm gonna be alone Their fear is, I'm just, this is all I can get. I don't know what your fear is or what you're struggling with. But if that relationship is not honoring the Lord, if that relationship is going against what the wise, godly leaders in your life are saying, it is time to make a decision. It is time to move in the direction that God is calling you to move. Secondly, When the wild soul is losing, you're gonna pursue God's purpose to bless others, to bless others. That's what it looks like to kill sin. It will bless others. Because the opposite life of blessing others is a life that's focused on blessing yourself. And that's what the wild soul is after. The wild soul, your sin, wants you to worship self, wants you to focus on self, wants you to think about self. And that's the only thing that your sin really wants is to please yourself. I see it, I want it, I know what's better. All of these things are happening out of a sinful, prideful heart. This wild piece has got to be dealt with. And so when you recognize that as a follower of Jesus, God saved you not to show up today just to be encouraged and then to go home and live your life. He's called you to gather in this group today to be inspired, challenged, understand the word of God, and then run through these doors to bless the city and the people that you are going to encounter this week. Here's the gospel. Here's what God's doing in my life. Come to church. God is awesome. I'm not embarrassed by my faith. I'm not embarrassed by Jesus. Man, I'm walking with Jesus and I'm talking about Jesus. This is the life he's calling you to live. And if you are doing that, you can be sure that you are in the battle to kill sin. You're in the battle of overcoming the wild soul within you. Now, I realize in this room, there are probably some some folks who, who would say, you know, I've never given my life to Jesus. I've never committed my life. Man, I've said a prayer, but like I've never turned a corner. I've never like surrendered my life to Jesus. And so I want to encourage those in the room who would say that's you right now to make that commitment today. Would everyone just bow their heads for a moment? Just in the quietness of this place, There are some people in the room, you are struggling in multiple areas of your life. And you would definitely say that part of the struggle is your wild soul, pride, sin in your life. But today, maybe for some time now, God has been pursuing you. And today, for whatever reasons, you're realizing that. And in this moment, you feel and sense that it is time and it is right for you to give your life to Jesus. And if that is you, let me lead you in a prayer that'll help you make that connection today. Just simply say, God, I believe that Jesus is your son. I confess that I'm a sinner and I believe that Jesus died on the cross paying for my sin taking my place forgive me Lord come into my life today and save me from this moment forward God I follow you as you continue to pray and with every head bowed is there someone in the room that would say Trent I just prayed that prayer For the first time. And would you just lift up your hand and look up right at me here at the stage? Anybody at all say, Trent, that is me. Anybody at all? Anybody at all? I'm looking, I'm scanning. I see way in the back. Praise God. Anybody else? Anyone else say, man, that was me. I see you, ma'am. Praise God. Am I missing anybody else? Just wave your hand. Praise God, buddy. see two, three. Man, would you look at me? Young man, would you look at me? At the end of this time, we're going to sing a song. And at the end, when everybody's leaving, our, what we call section leaders, they've got these badges, they're all wearing the same t-shirt today. Would you, before you leave, go to one of them and say, hey, I just wanted you to know, I pray to receive Jesus. Would you you just let them know today because they wanna high five you and they wanna give you some encouragement. It's really important for you to tell somebody today. And so before you head out, they're gonna be all over this place at the front and in the areas there. Maybe you didn't lift up your hand, you didn't look at me, but the same instruction I wanna give to you today before you walk out, tell one of those folks because you're entering a journey that's the greatest ride of your life and we're here to help. Lord, as we focus on battling and overcoming this wild soul, Lord, we pray that we would walk out of here ignited and on fire to follow you and trust you with decisions, Lord, that sometimes are hard for us to make. Let's face it, they're always hard for us to make. But in your power, Lord, we are going to make them. We are going to be different. We are going to be changed by the power of the Holy Spirit living within us. We walk out of here a different man, a different woman, with a new determination and a new power and a new hope because we have Jesus. Speak and move in this midst, God. And we pray in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, folks, let's praise God for those decisions that were just made here in just this moment. Thank you, Jesus. Let's, let's stand t- together and let's worship with a heart cry what God has done in our life. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.